Chapter 21, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the son of man each day jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the mount of olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Give us hearts and minds that are open to understand. Give us your wisdom and your insights into the things that we read. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I say, let's pick up from where we left off uh, last Sunday. And as uh, as I just said, these four themes that come out through the chapter, and very obviously verses 20 to 24, are about the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, which is not very far off, only maybe 30, 40 years in the future at the time that Jesus is speaking. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, uh, you will know that its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. The, the Jews, have, they've sort of passed the tipping point. So much of what Jesus has been teaching on this journey to Jerusalem, which you'll remember, uh, well, you probably don't remember because I remember what I said last week, let alone eight months ago. But anyway, this journey to Jerusalem <laughs> began in chapter 9, verse 51. So since chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus has been on the, way, on the journey to Jerusalem. And so much of what he's been teaching has been basically a warning, a warning to the Jewish nation that unless they respond to what God is revealing in him unless they see that Jesus is the Messiah that he is the savior and unless they respond to him uh, you know destruction is going to come on them and uh, you'll remember as they approach Jerusalem chapter 
1941. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if you, only you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Jesus weeps for Jerusalem because he realises the required response is not going to be made. And it's just a reminder to us that we do have to make a response to what God is doing and what God has done. And there, becomes, there comes a point when you, you pass the point of no return. And Jesus can see that the Jewish nation has reached that point and they've passed it. And that's why he weeps over Jerusalem. Uh, interestingly, uh, we know that um, uh, the Roman army eventually uh, invaded and flattened Jerusalem in AD 70. And I said last week they flattened it so severely that you could draw a plough across it. And the, and the plough wouldn't stick on anything. It was so flat. That's how badly it was destroyed. Uh, well, the Roman army attacked Jerusalem in AD 67. And there's no reason why they couldn't have overwhelmed and destroyed the city in AD 67. And for some inexplicable reason, the Romans invaded and then they withdrew. And in AD 70, they went back. But in AD 67, when the, the Roman army invaded, the Christians remembered what Jesus had said. And most Christians left the city. So in AD 70, when the Roman army returned and wiped it off the face of the earth, there were very few Christians living in Jerusalem because they had heard and remembered what Jesus had said. And when the Roman army came in 67, they thought, wow, this is it. We've got to leave. And they left. And in AD 70, uh, there were not many Christians left in the city. So... um, When God speaks, we need to listen. Uh, What does Jesus say? This is the time, verse 22, this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. You know, we should never be taken by surprise when judgment comes. Because God always warns of impending judgment. He doesn't just lash out because he's lost the plot and he's got angry. That's not God's wrath. He warns and warns and warns and warns. But in the end, judgment comes. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There'll be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. Wrath against this people. So sobering that in the end, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of, is a God of wrath. And as we've you know, talked about before, when we've come across uh, this word wrath, it's not about, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, unbridled anger and, and uh, you know, flying off the handle. And this is, it's just God's settled view against unholiness and against unrighteousness. God is so holy, he just, he cannot tolerate unholiness. You can't, you can't mix God's holiness with that which is unholy. And, and God's wrath is just his settled view against that stuff. And that's why in the end, judgment comes. You know, we spend... You know, we so often reference John 3.16 about how, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And absolutely nothing, you know, wrong with that. I say it so often. But actually, when we, every time we read that verse and reference John 3.16, we should perhaps also reference uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul, whose life had been transformed by the love of God in Christ and the, the grace and mercy, Paul says... Uh, you know, I'm the, you know, the least worthy of God's 
mercy. He said, I, you know, I persecuted the church. He said, I, I don't deserve any of God's love. You know, Paul's life was transformed by the love of God. But he knows the truth. In Romans 1.18, he writes, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And, uh, and so it goes on. Uh, sometimes in the church, I know I've said this before, we spend, we spend too much time, uh, if, we, if, it's, if this is possible, I hope you understand what I mean. We spend too much time talking about the love of God and not enough time talking about the wrath of God. And we need to have those balance because if God's wrath wasn't a problem, if it wasn't really an issue, he wouldn't have needed to send his son Jesus to die on a cross. It's because God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus. Well, why did he give his son Jesus? His one and only son, crucified, naked, bleeding on a cross. Why did he do that? Because his wrath has to fall on unrighteousness. It has to fall on unholiness. You know, when we get to heaven, when, we, when heaven comes to earth and we live in the new it will be perfect. It will be holy. There'll be no unrighteousness. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because they've missed the moment. And God's wrath is falling on his people. They will fall by the sword. They'll be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, one of the things when we read these um, read this chapter, there are some things that we can be we can be we can be really certain about. And there are some things where, where we, you kind of have to read the signs of the times and work out whether or not, you know, whether or not you're kind of living in these, in these particular times. So I have, I have some um, commentaries that I read, uh, fabulous commentaries that were written a couple of hundred years ago. No, maybe not quite that long, maybe hundred, a couple of hundred years ago. But the commentator, when he's writing about this, he's like looking at what's going on in, in the nation, like a couple of hundred years, like, these are the times that we're living in. And then I'm reading it and saying, no, these are the times that we're living in. So you kind of have to be a little bit careful sometimes how you apply. But there are some things that we can be certain of. And he says, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jerusalem is flattened in AD 70. When will the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled? Well, they'll be fulfilled when Jesus returns, when Jesus' kingdom is Established, But can we begin to see the signs of those times happening? Well, uh, Jerusalem is flattened in um, uh, AD 70. And in 1947, Israel was uh, created once again as an independent nation with Jerusalem as its capital city. So uh, I think we can see that the times of the Gentiles are beginning to draw to a close. Because for 1800 years, there was no independent nation of Israel. There was no capital city in Jerusalem and the times of the Gentiles are drawing to a close. But for 2,000 years, uh, the times of the Gentiles, the ungodly nations have been uh, ruling and reigning. So wrath must come because God is a God of love. And the thing to take on board is that for all of us, there's, you know, there's, there's a moment when it's too late. God is always inviting us to respond. He's always, as we said the other other day with the story of the prodigal son, God is always waiting 
As long as we have breath in our bodies, the Lord's always waiting for us to respond. But there is a point where it becomes too late and his wrath will fall. And for us as, as, as individuals, it's, well, is that wrath going to, is it going to fall on me? Or is it going to fall on Jesus? <coughs> and if I trust in Jesus, then I'll be saved. That's what we sang about in our opening song. Verse 25. Uh, so we're moving on from uh, this thread, which is the destruction of Jerusalem, to the thread, which is now the return of Jesus. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. There will be chaos. Uh, remember in the Bible, sea is, a, uh, sea is a picture for ungodly chaos. So at the beginning of Genesis, the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters. Because in biblical imagery, water and sea it represents chaos, ungodly chaos. Uh, so uh, at the beginning of Genesis, the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters and brings order. And at the Revelation chapter 21 in the new creation, there isn't any sea. Not that we're not going to go for a swim. I'm sure there will be a sea, but there's not going to be any chaos, any disorder. He says, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Uh, you know, we live, you know, we may be living, uh, we are certainly living nearer the end than the beginning. We may be living in the end times, who knows? But we're certainly living in days where people are in anguish and perplexity and looking at the world and looking at what's going on in our world and wondering what the future holds. What does Jesus say? He says, at that time. So in other words, when things seem to be getting worse. Remember last week, we were thinking about birth pains. Uh, in the agony of birth pains, you know that at the end, there's going to be new life. And when the pain is at its most intense, that's when new life appears. And so Jesus says, well, you know, don't, you know, don't get worried when the pain that the world is in and the turmoil that the world is in seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Because that's the moment when new birth is coming. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, trying to explain to the church about how to anticipate these times. Uh, and he writes, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So when things seem to be getting worse in the world, uh, we should be getting more excited. When things are getting worse in the world, we should not be becoming disheartened and discouraged and disillusioned. We should be thinking, yes, new life is about to appear. Jesus is preparing to come back. This is what he told us to expect. There's this wonderful picture, this picture language of we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The, kind of the, the imagery is of a, a kind of welcome party greeting a returning king. So the, the imagery is not that, you know, Jesus coming and we go, you know, we go off with him to some ethereal heaven to sit on a cloud and play a harp. 
Uh, this is Jesus is coming back and we go to greet him and welcome him back. Uh, it's the imagery in, a, in, in the ancient world. If a king was coming, an advance party would go out to greet the king and then they would come with the king back into the city. That's the image of Jesus returning. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm, how exciting to still be alive when he comes back. I'm, you know, when we, when we watch the news... We should be excited, not disheartened, because we see differently. We see differently. Jesus says, so here's something we can be certain of. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. Stand up and lift up your heads. you know, so in these days, we should be those who are known as people who are, you know, we live in peace. You know, we're not worried about what goes on in the world. You know, we need to, you know, when we have conversations with people and people express their anxiety and uh, about what's going on, we should be those who say, well, actually, well, I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. Because Jesus said that this was all going to happen. It's all in the book. And he said, when these things happen, uh, I should be excited because he's in control. And it's a sign that he's preparing to return. And what I need to do is lift up my head and worship because my redemption is drawing near. Uh, Peter writes, um, first letter of Peter, chapter one, uh, writing to the church and uh, writing to encourage them. And he He writes about uh, salvation as something that we have received and something that we are receiving and something that we're still going to receive in the future. Because you may think, he says, you know, your redemption is drawing near. And you think, well, hang on a minute. I thought when I put my trust in Jesus, I was saved. So how can my, how can my redemption be, why am I still waiting for my redemption if I was redeemed and saved when I put my trust in the Lord Jesus? Well, Peter explains, he says, Um, In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. He has given us new birth. When we put our trust in Jesus, we were born again. But then he says, um, given you new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are saved. We are saved for eternity if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And in these difficult days, Peter says we are shielded by God's power. He will watch over us. He will look after us. Uh, That's why Jesus said, uh, verse um, 17, that we looked at last Sunday, all people will hate you, but not a hair of your head will perish. God will look after you until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. When Jesus comes back, then we will receive our new, our new bodies and we'll be part of that new creation. Lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing nigh. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. It's near. In all of these things, it's, it's a growing sense of expectation about what God is doing. It's about looking forward 
with anticipation. I tell you the truth, verse 32. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, this is a difficult verse to interpret because, uh, because if, if what Jesus is teaching about is both um, things that are going to happen immediately, like the destruction of Jerusalem, but also about his second coming, which we're still waiting for, it, it's interpreting what he means by, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. And um, you read the commentators and different commentators kind of interpret it in different ways. And there is this alternative translation that it may be, you know, the Jewish race won't pass away. So we have to, one of those things we have to kind of grapple with and there are various ways of um, interpreting that. But let's stick with the things that we can be certain of. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus's words will never pass pass away uh, if there's a library in heaven it's going to be very small <laughs> It'll just have one book <laughs> the bible and uh, but jesus's words will never pass away because they are truth they are truth now verse 34 be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap uh, we need to be um, expectant. If you remember the, um, the parable of the sower, uh, what happens to some of the seeds? Uh, some of the seeds, doesn't, it doesn't die, but it's unfruitful. And Jesus says one of the reasons that it's unfruitful is because of the anxieties of life. Uh, when we get too concerned with the things that are going on in this world, we take our eye off what God is doing. And we take our eye off the hope that God has given us in Jesus. And when we do that, then things take us by surprise. And the things that God is doing take us by surprise. So Jesus says, be careful. Are we being careful in the way that we're living? Are we being careful to prepare ourselves for what God is doing? So we, you know, we do, we live in this world, but in Christ we are citizens of heaven. We're already citizens of heaven. So where's our focus? Is our focus on being a citizen of heaven and preparing for the new life to come? Or are we so wrapped up in the things of this world that we don't even give those things a second thought? It's, it's, just, it's a daily challenge because we do have to live in this world. And there are constantly things that we need to sort out and work out and think about. But Jesus says, be careful not to become weighed down with the anxieties of life. Otherwise will be caught out, will be caught by surprise. It will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen so that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be always on the watch. You know, how, how do we actually do this? How do we, as Christians, be always on the watch? When we have to, you know, we have to go to work and we have to look after kids and we have to, you know, all the, all the day-to-day things that we have to do. How do you keep yourself always on, you know, always on the watch? Well, I think it's, it's just constantly seeking to live in the presence of Jesus. It's constantly being immersed in his word. It's making time in our day, even if it's only five minutes every day to read his word just to keep him in the forefront of our minds to keep sharing our lives with him to keep in prayer to keep in 
worship. Because we do lose concentration. Uh, We do take our eye off the ball. So we need to be constantly putting our eye back on the ball and thinking about these things. Why is it so important? So that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. You know, as I said at the start, um, things we can be certain of. Jesus is going to return. Things we can be certain of. God's wrath is going to fall on unrighteousness and unholiness. Things we can be certain of, there is going to be a judgment. Things we can be certain of, there is only salvation in the name of Jesus. Because it's only Jesus who died on the cross and paid the price for us. So Jesus says, and if this is the most important thing, uh, that you may be able to escape all this about time, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. When Jesus returns, and we, will we be able to stand in his presence? There is only one way that we can stand in his presence, and that's by acknowledging that we need him, that we've fallen short of his glory, that we are sinners saved by his grace. If we stand before him and try and present our good works, our self-righteousness, our own uh, shadow of holiness, none of that will bear his wrath. It's only our trust in the Lord Jesus who took on himself on the cross the wrath of God and rose again. Will we be able to stand? That's the good news that we have to share. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Uh, The gospel is not always easy listening, uh, but the gospel is compelling because it's the answer to the world that we live in and it's the answer to uh, the things that we're experiencing at the moment and Jesus is the only hope of the world. So let us be, be people of peace and people of hope and people who hold out that good news, people who know that we have a saviour. Uh, let's um, let's just pause for a moment and. Uh...